All right, everyone. We are here with the great Joe Trunzo. Mr. Trunzo, how are you doing? Uh, great. Uh, saying the name that you just gave me. I'm, I'm doing great. How about you? <laughs> I'm glad you like the, uh, the preface, the great Joe Trunzo. So, hey, look, I must have done something right. I, I want to kick this off with a non-training related question. We're going to go into it is the night before my first game as a, as a head coach. It's a, a dream that I had since actually since I was actually playing high school football. I've always wanted to be a high school head coach. And um, I'm in my house. I'm mentally going through the game in my head. I'm already prepared. Is, is everything checked off of my list of, of in terms of preparation, call sheets, how, our pregame warm-up, everything, trying to play the entire game in my head. Freaking out a little bit, a little bit of self-doubt comes in, and my doorbell rings. And in this day and age, there's only two reasons my doorbell rings, either a Jehovah's Witness or uh, Amazon's dropping off a package. So I open up the door. I'm in full, like, uh, protective mode of my family. Like, who, who could possibly be here because I didn't order anything? And it's, again, the great Joe Tronzo. And, Joe, it's you. You hand me a handwritten letter. And before I say anything more, I just got to get inside the head of you. So, first of all, what makes you write this handwritten letter? What makes you hand deliver the letter? And then we'll get into the content of the letter. So first off, what makes you write the letter? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, c- coach, you're, you're, a, you're a man's man. I, I don't, you know, I'm not worried about saying that. I feel like I'm a man's man. We all kind of grew up in culture of being a man's man. And life doesn't really give you too many opportunities as a man to let other people in your life know that you appreciate them or, or let them know sort of how you feel. It's just not what we do. It's not, we don't interact that way. But, you know, the one, the one, the, the only time I interact that way is Coach Manos always said, I remember we, when we were in high school, like he always had a thing, brother's hug. It's when we, you know, when you greet somebody that you feel you have that type of connection with, you know, you won't shake the hand, you'll give him a hug. So, you know, that's kind of the rare instance where we're able to do something like that. But when I found out that you got the Peters job, it made me think like, man, you know, I've, I've known Coach Moni since 2001, uh, freshman year, the, the summer before freshman year, I wasn't even a freshman in high school yet where we went through the two days and, and camp and, and all that. And you and I had always kept in touch, you know, sometimes through training together, there was some lags where we didn't train together, but where we always kept in touch here and there. And I always valued the relationship that we maintained from, from day one where I was, you know, what, 14 years old to at that point I was 31. Uh, obviously the relationship changes a little bit, but always valued uh, your input, always valued your opinion uh, always very much appreciated some of the things that you instilled in me, not just training wise, but just seeing the way you lived your life, the way you went about things uh, that I, that I, I feel like I think of things the same way, largely in part because I learned it from you. So I just said, man, you know, this is an opportunity for me to reach out to coach and say, Hey, like this, like I'm, I'm proud of you. Like what you're doing matters. What you're doing is important. And I'm living proof of that. Like you, what you did in the past mattered to me and I'm sure it mattered to a host of other guys that came along, you know, before or, or after me. So I said, Hey, you know, what can I do to, to sort of convey that to coach? So and, a little bit of background, just so people don't think you're like some stalker who just randomly showed up. So first right, right. off, uh, Joe was on the first ever high school football team that I coached. So I came out of college. I coach a high school football team. It's with Joe and his guys. And I have this, immediate connection with them because it was the same high school I went to that similar circumstances that I had a lot of adversity that they overcame. And I connected with these guys. I'm still, I still have a special bond with that team in particular. The other thing I'd say is Joe. And I, I think I've told you this a bunch of times was I love just seeing you 
be a leader even at the age of 14 and 15. And uh, to me, a leader is someone who people follow, right? It doesn't have to be your, your role. You don't have to be a CEO and you're a 14, 15-year-old kid. And I just saw that you had a charismatic personality and that that team did follow you. And the other part of this, to say how we're still connected, at the time, I was cha- training Joe. We were doing a tough man training together. So it wasn't like he just was stalking me for having not seen me and then shows up at my door. We had had some interaction. We've have a, we have a close relationship. So yeah. uh, it, it does feed into the next part of the story of, okay, so what makes you hand delivery? Uh, so I, I figured that you were probably – going through all your mental repetitions that you might've been inside your own head a little bit, not, not to, not to say that that's a bad thing, but I knew how important it was to you. And I knew that it was a long time coming and I figured, Hey, you know what? It's, it's, I think it's probably like six o'clock or seven o'clock. I don't remember. And I just said, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll show up, I'll ring the bell. And if I could be a little bit of a familiar face, calming influence, just to give a sense of familiarity for a little while, because you were going into something that, I mean, as an assistant coach, obviously you were prepared for it, but it was uncharted territory, really. Um, you know, if I could have been a familiar face or just someone, someone to help you get through the the, the mental difficulty, uh, I wanted to be that. And how did you know where I lived? Like, it's not something that a lot of people know. How'd you figure it out? Uh, well, I had invited you to my wedding in the past, so ah! I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, ga- I actually gave you the address. That's right. So you, I had your address from the wedding invite, and uh, I used that to my advantage. All right. You are a smart man, Joe Trunzel, as, as we're going to get to later on in this podcast. All right, so let's talk about the, the contents of the letter. I'll, I'll let you reveal as, as much or as little as you want to. If you could just give us a general summary of what you put in, into the letter. Yeah, so, you know, w- without divulging too much, because it, you know, it was meant to be, uh, you know, b- between us, but obviously just going forward saying, hey, look, this is, a, this is a unique opportunity that I know you've always been waiting for. I think that you're in a position, you were, you always meant to be in a position to lead men and influence men. And you're now in a position where you could do that on a grand scale. And I think that the kids you're coaching and the kids that you'll continue to coach are lucky that they get to follow you and have the opportunity to follow you. And I wish you nothing but the best. I know you, I know you're prepared for it. Uh, I I think I told you I'd be at the game. I, I was at the game. And just saying, hey, you know, this is this is what you were meant to do and go ahead and do it. So uh, spoiler alert, we end up losing the game 33 nothing. I wasn't going to say it. I, I, wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I blame it all on Joe Trunzo's letter. No, uh, it, the letter was awesome. It absolutely got my my mind in the right spot pregame. And I, I got a good night's sleep. I didn't freak out. But I, I'm thinking through, OK, the letter even when you talk to a kid, you talk to a coach, whoever it is, the, the pep talk isn't going to bring about, about some miracle in the next moment. I think it's, it's about the longstanding effect that it had. And I'll be very honest with you, that letter, it stays in a special spot in my house when times get rough, uh, when I'm starting to doubt what's going on. I pull that bad boy out, and it just gives me that next extra step to keep going because there are a lot of issues in any at any job a head coaching job a strength and conditioning job there's always going to be things that you're going to stumble over it's supposed to be hard if it was easy everybody be doing it but then you get a letter from a guy like you that that picks you up it's something that i kept with me and i'll say this it obviously didn't help us win that game we got blown out 33 nothing but that game changed everything you know we we lost that game horribly and then we said you know we're going to run an offense we're going to run a scheme based on what we do best which is kind of what you wrote in the the letter is like in a, in a certain way it was you know yeah. what you're doing do what you do best right and it's you know it's not always you're not gonna 
and you know, to take it from the football game itself, you're not going to win every game. And, but to just, I think I alluded to it a little bit in the letter is you're not going to get everything right, but you being in the, in the position that you're in, you'll get is because you will get most of it. Right. And when you paint that broader picture, if you're getting most of it, right. And the kids are listening to you. Cause I, to me, that was the most important thing is right. Like, and this, this could, you know, turn into a different philosophical question and maybe we won't get to it or maybe we will, but I think it's important for kids to be around positive influences, positive role models, especially at that age, that high school age. I think that's when men become men, when children, when young men become men and they start to emulate a lot of the things of the people that they're around. And that was, you know, I, I, I said to you, I believe I said as much as, Hey, these kids are lucky to be around you. You might not get everything right. You'll get most of it right. You'll be that positive influence that they need. And that's something they're going to take with them for the rest of their lives. And so, you know, you might lose a football game. You might win a football game. You might, you know, go, go to the championship. You might lose in the first round of the playoffs. But when you look across that four-year picture of those four seasons, and never mind four seasons, four years, four off-seasons, four camps, four whatever, you know, it's when the picture comes together, those kids are lucky that they spent it with you. And I, I love that you talk about the positivity because it is something that we try and do where it's, it's never uh, you stink, you're the worst, it's, it's you're better than that. Or we're just trying to make them the best version of themselves positive, overemphasizing the good, building up on their strengths and not harping on their weaknesses. And it's not about participation awards or any of that garbage. This is yeah, really right. about the, the methodology that you take to make each kid the best version of himself. Yeah, I, I think I mean, that way, that way of coaching to me is sort of in the, and that's and it's a bygone age, right? The beat the kids down and, you know, you, no, no water. You got to, you know, you're going to run suicides until you die. Like that whole thing, you know, that, that's, that's a bygone age. But guys who coach that way, are, they're, they're not going to last very long. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the positive. I mean, look, there are times where you need to be a disciplinarian or authoritarian and let the kids know that things are going to be a certain way. But the whole positivity thing, I'm, I'm all about that. All right, so now we're going to transition into more specific Joe Trunzo questions and I try and get inside the, the beautiful mind of Joe Trunzo. So for, the, for those that don't know, uh, Joe brings an entirely unique skill set to advanced training. And the, the, the first area that I want to talk about is the fact that you study the history of advanced training so much. You're able – you go into – all the information is on the internet. It's been there. Who's challenged who? Who's done what challenge, what times they've gotten, what's happened in the tough man, how people placed, what people's PowerPoints are. It's there. I'd say of the – I'll say around 200 kids that I've ever trained, two of them have actually put in the effort that you have into looking at the history. So what is it in your mind that makes you look at this so deeply? Sure. So, I, so just first and foremost, I'm, I'm an extremely analytical guy. I think that I'm a pretty big believer in the fact that most things in life are learnable. You know, maybe you can't learn it to it to become a master at it, but mostly everything in life, if you spend enough time with it, is learnable to a basic degree. So, yeah, and, and again, that's not in the sense of like, hey, I, I can learn how to beat so-and-so in a challenge, or I can learn how to lift more weight than somebody else. That's, that's not what I mean. I think like circumstances and scenarios are learnable. So when I came back to advanced training, last year i hadn't trained with you guys in quite a while you and i did a session when i was living in charlotte like we called it a virtual session where you gave me some you gave me a couple workout you gave me some sheets and we corresponded that way but i hadn't actually trained in the gym with you guys i don't think since it was 2010 i think was the last session i was maybe it was 2011 so i came back in in 2018 and i didn't really know 
I didn't, number one, I didn't even know a lot of the new training, right? Cause we were outdoors. So I didn't, I wasn't really familiar with that. It was a lot of poles and sled poles and, and prowler pushes. And it was a, a world I wasn't really familiar with. So I just dove in and said, Hey, look, I am, I'm going to learn before I get out there and make a fool out of myself. I'm going to see trends, patterns, things that I can identify. And when I say that, I mean, Hey, let's use an example. Pete Amorosi, one of, one of the guys we train with Pete on the surface might look like he's really good at a B or C. But if I look at challenge data from two, three or four years ago, it looks like Pete actually struggles when someone challenges him to something that you would think is related to a B or C. So I am going to use that information to my advantage or just more generally guys. I didn't know that well, like a Sarno or um, you know, like an Uske, it was very easy to go back and look at prior challenges and say, Oh, okay. When Sarno got challenged to this, he lost. When Uske got challenged to that, he lost. Then the following year, someone challenged Sarno to that again, and he lost. Someone challenged Uske to that again, and he lost. And you start to compile, like, okay, certain guys are strong at some things. Certain guys are weak at some things. And if I can use that to my advantage or, or get an edge. And I, I, that sounds sort of selfish, like the, like the whole point of advanced training is to just beat the other guys you're around, and that's not the point. But – for the challenge portion of it, that is the point. And so, you know, if I can, if I can figure out what, what I can, what I have an edge on you with, I'm going to take it. So that to me is, is part of the reason why I am so rooted in, Hey, I want to sit down in front of the information before I make this. So if someone's a first time listener, they have no idea what advanced training is. They have no idea what you're talking about with a challenge. What, what is the challenge? What does the challenge mean to you? So, yeah. So what I think what the challenge and coach, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think what the challenge got started as was, Hey, I want to encourage guys to grow a pair and challenge somebody to, to a competition in the gym. I think you always said you likened it because we were kids at the time. It was like, you'll, you'll grow the, you'll grow the set to be able to approach uh, the hot girl at the corner of the bar. Uh, so I think that's how it started, right? Which is, Hey, I want to give you the confidence and the ability to step up and, 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 believe in yourself and in, in, in a com competitive setting. W what it is now, it's, it's, I think most of the guys that we train with now are beyond that, at least the, that, that morning session that we do at Bloomingdale, I think guys are beyond, Hey, I need to believe in myself. So now it's just become, you have a challenge. Uh, you have a challenge holder, excuse me, who's considered the champ at that point. And we go through the, the a rotating list of guys who can step up to the plate and challenge the challenge holder to an event to you know, knock him off his spot and take, take the spot. And, you know, what the challenge means to me is to me, first and foremost, it's just a chance to test myself and my training methods against younger, uh, stronger, and, you know, not to belittle myself, but for all intents and purposes, better athletes than myself, right? Like I'm, I'm 32 years old. A lot of the guys we train with are 24, 25. So for me, it's, Hey, I know what I do six six nights a week or mornings a week when I go and train and push myself and try to improve on certain things. And the challenge gives me the opportunity to track my own progress, right? It's, Hey, if, if I'm trying to improve on this or I'm trying to reach a benchmark of this and, and sometimes certain people are the benchmark, right? Like Sarno right now. And I think in advanced training and a lot of events is the benchmark uh, in certain events, the more endurance based, you'll see me, Uske, Amorosi, Moresco, maybe we poke our heads in here and there, but Sarno is kind of that alpha dog right now. So, but and before so, you go any further, I'm going to give a little bit of background. Thing number one is Sarno was the 2018 Tough Man champion. He also won the 2018 challenge. He had the most points. And current, champ champ. he was the, a two-part a two champ. That's and, right. And right now, he has the most points 
in the 2019 challenge. He's only ahead of you by one. As this uh, thing is being recorded, Sarno is, has a 7-2 and two record with 23 points, and Joe Tronzo has a 6-4 and four record with 22 points. And the way this works, for every win, you get three points. For every loss, you get two points. And if you don't have the courage to go speak up and make a challenge or smarts to make a challenge that someone will not deny you in, uh, you get no points. So you get – yes, there are, there are points for participating, but this is really – got it's still a struggle that goes on with each step of this challenge. So that was part one. Part two, right. you, you gave this uh, brief mention of the fact that you are 32 years old. It, I heard this rumor that you are the, the oldest competitor right now uh, in advanced training. Is that true? That is true. And, and every day that passes, I set a new world record as it relates to that. <laughs> so every day you continue to be the <laughs> oldest competitor to, to do what? What are some of the records that you've set so far? So some of the records I've set is I was, I was the oldest person to win a challenge. I was the oldest person to lose a challenge. I'm the oldest person to ever challenge at all. Uh, I was the oldest person to win two challenges in a day. Um, I was the oldest person to lose a challenge by more than 30% of what the, what the last guy got. I mean, you, you, if you just name it, I'll, if, you, if you give me enough time, I'll find a way to put my age into any type of world record that I've set at advance. I'm, I'm the youngest person, I'm, excuse, I'm the oldest person to show up and have a challenge denied. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you name it, I'll, I, can, I can go all day. Uh, you, you definitely could. You're, you're the oldest person to be interviewed by me on this podcast. That's right. I'm, I'm the oldest yeah. person to be interviewed on the podcast. That's right. That's right. There's a lot going on here. So yeah. getting back to this, this mental edge, is this like this? I will, I'll call it a chip on your shoulder. Is it some sort of motivating chip on your shoulder that you are the oldest guy right now in advanced training? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it, I, I take a sense of personal pride in it. So it, it's definitely a chip on the shoulder, right? Because, you know, obviously the, 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 the talk is the talk and it, it's a good banter and a good competitive trash talking environment that we have in the morning. I think guys are comfortable enough with each other now. And we, we've kind of gotten to that point, which is, which is great. But for me, it's, it's a sense of personal pride and it reflects on what I think is my consistency uh, evidence that I take care of my body, right? It's proof that proof that what I do in the gym, proof that what I do in, in the kitchen, I know that sounds strange, but proof that the way I, carry myself, my approach to training, my approach to dieting, my approach to endurance training, pushing myself, um, that it all works. Right. So for me to, to be able to compete at 32 with guys that are, I don't know, last year we had Buser in there. who's a, an animal at age 20, 21. I think he was, he's playing football, uh, excuse me, playing baseball down in Florida or, you know, guys like Pete, Joe, uh, you know, 24, 25, 26, even Moresco's, I think 30, who's a, the, the only person who right now is within spitting distance of my age records. Um, you know, it's just, it's, so it's, it, yeah, it's that, it's that sense of personal pride. It's, it's proving it to myself that I can still kind of compete with these younger kids. And again, to me, and I think this is the most important thing to me is just evidence that what I'm doing at my age still works. Yes. And, and people will tell you you're too old, right? You're, you're over 30. You shouldn't do this stuff. You're right. over 30. You got to stop working out. Nope. <laughs> You're there no. and it's two degrees out. You're, you're the first guy there on many a morning waiting, or you're the guy the night before trash talking everybody to get them hyped up, which kind of leads to my next point. I, I know you talk about knowing this history and giving you the, the potential, I'll say, mental edge over yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't have to divulge too much information because this is a highly competitive environment. But when, do you use that is history to get in the minds of your competitors? 
you try and have them beat themselves before they even step onto the challenge floor. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I told you that on plenty of times where I've in challenges, I've, I've made certain challenges that might've seemed quirky or weird, or I've, I've had a special request as part of a challenge where I've texted you off to the side. Like, yeah, the only reason like I, the only reason I even put that in the challenge was just to get in so-and-so's head. Um, I did it to Amorosi once on a, on a pole challenge where he, he generally wears gloves and I just said, Hey, look, but no gloves on the challenge. And if you like, if you can't accept the challenge with no gloves, then you're not man enough. So whatever I said, right? You're not man enough. To, you're not man enough to go if you if you can't pull a sled with no gloves. And Amorosi accepted the challenge, and he had, I, to my knowledge at least, this was in the winter. He had never shown up to a winter session without gloves. So I re- I immediately felt like I was in the driver's seat, and I won that challenge. And if you ask me, totally objectively, gun to my head, I have to make a decision. I think Pete is better at sled pulls than I am, but. Uh, you know, I, maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it didn't. I, I know his hand slipped on a sled, on a chain, on one of the chain links. Right. So maybe it worked out, but yeah. So to, to answer the question and not give too much, uh, I definitely try to m- methodically, um, maybe to a fault methodically text in a way to encourage certain people to make certain decisions or discourage certain people from making certain decisions, um, in, in often a, a self-focused way. Is the, I think that's the right way to put it, rather than to say manipulative. Manipulative is a bad word. So if, if advanced training is Game of Thrones, what character are you? So I, I used to say Littlefinger, but then he died, right? So, and, and, <laughs> Spoiler and, and, alert if you have not yeah. watched season seven. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. I, I, yeah, I mean, little, I used to say Littlefinger, but, and then, but if you look back at it, Littlefinger wasn't really the best example because he was sort of just like a little sniveling, like – half man like you know he wasn't like i don't know so like physically not but in, just in terms of the overall approach to the game like that's how you want to play it like the overall approach to the game of thrones i think the overall mental approach to the game of advanced training morning tough man session is probably closest to little thing and if you had to pick a guy whose head you think you have the hardest time getting into of the current training regime who is it? james who's James Uske. Yeah he, yeah. he doesn't seem to get too phased by the things that you're saying. No, he doesn't. And, and, that, and that's not to, that's not to say other guys are easy to get into the heads, but I, I know like certain guys have certain triggers and maybe it's, maybe it's a macho trigger. Like if you sort of get at their masculinity a little bit, or there are certain ways to get in, there are certain ways to play on certain people's either ego or insecurities or, perceive you know they, they maybe they perceive themselves as better or worse than they are in certain things and there are ways to get at them i think james is more even keel where hey look you're going to challenge me i'm going to show up i'm going to and we're going to do it it's going to be you know whoever does it best and and look a lot of times james is in, is ingenious with the way he approaches a lot of things i think that's also why it's difficult to get in his head because he 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 thinks outside that he thinks differently than i think he thinks in a much more abstract and outside the box type of way but I definitely think James is the guy that it's tough. He's the toughest nut to crack, I would say. I'd also th- you think about chip on your shoulder. James is a, a smaller guy. He could probably say like, yeah, I'm the smallest guy in advanced training history uh, in terms of certain things that we've done. Yeah. yeah. He, he probably also has to have some sort of mental edge or some other way to get around this and just go and head to head with somebody. So that chip probably, I, I'm not going to say matches up with certain chips, but I think it aligns the right way where he's not completely mentally fatigued by the i'll say the mind games that you're playing with people which i see you masterfully do yeah i, I agree i mean J- james and i probably have the most in, co- in common in terms of like body composition sh- 
type of strength because I think there are different types of strength. I, he and I are probably most similar, right? I mean, like James, James might be, I don't know, coach like probably 160. I'm like 182. And then one, you know, a lot of the other guys like Sarno, like 230. Moresco is probably around the same. I think Pete Amorosi, well, Pete might be closer in, in weight to me or maybe like in the 190, 190, 195-ish range. I, it's tough for me to say, but I, I do agree that James and I are more of the lighter endurance specialist type of athletes where a lot of the other guys are the more powerful, explosive, brute strength type guys. So there was this guy uh, named Teddy Cohesi who was named in the last podcast with oh, Steve Armato. And yep. Steve said if he had a choice of who his tag team challenge partner would be, first pick was Torres, second pick Teddy Cohesi. Teddy Cohesi, three-time tough man champion. Yep. You had said in a text message once to me and to him that he is your sworn uh, challenge enemy for sworn life. Sworn enemy, yep. Why is that? So Teddy's my sworn enemy because we had this, this session and coach, you could, again, I, I said this a few times, you could correct me if I'm wrong or if you think I'm exaggerating on any of this. We had a session, I think it was winter 2010 going into 2011. So it was end of the year, 2010, beginning of the year, 2011, where when guys would come home from college, I was in law school. So I was, I was coming home from law school, but when guys would come home, we had all of us in the same place. This was like a who's who of advanced training. It was, back then, I mean, I mean, right. Like obviously the, tra the program has evolved. There's been more athletes that have come through, but it was like a who's who at that point. It was like, it was Mike DiPilato, Joe Castellano, Matt Castellano, Joe Igneri, Chris Igneri, the Heatles brothers, right. Morano, Martel, um, Blanco, like you name it, like Teddy, you name it. Everybody was there. The, the Roman brothers were there. Like you name it. They were at that session. If they were of, of the, the program age at that time. Yep. And the tough man at that point was, wasn't what it is now, which is sort of a course where you, you run through the course and you get a time. It was bracket style and the event would come out of a hat. And it was controversial what events would come out. Like I know some, like sometimes the event would, I, I remember one point it was like jump rope came out and Matt Castellano had never jumped rope in his life. You know what? Yeah. This was a one time only thing. <laughs> and you're right. This was a, a year that we had a tough man in the winter because we had that who's who of people showing up. They wanted a challenge. Everybody wanted a piece of Colhesi. So we made it similar to an NCAA Final Four. And instead of ranking people on their own, like who's one and who's 16, you're 100% right. I put names in a hat in one hat, and then I put challenges in another hat. So we literally drew out two names out of the hat. The very first one was Matt Castellano versus Teddy Colhesi, and it was 60 seconds of jump rope. And Colhesi, it was double elimination, by the way. So Matt did have another chance to come back. But Kohesi, I'm looking at the data right now, 240 jumps in 60 seconds, complete and total insanity. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, and look, like Matt's, Matt's body type at that point, I mean, if you look at Matt now, Matt's, Matt has transcended what a human being even. Matt's like one of those half, half human, half machine type yeah. things now. But he looks he like probably, a superhero. Yeah, he could probably jump, I don't know, like a thousand skips in 60 seconds. I don't even know what he could do. But back then, Matt's body wasn't equipped right for jumping rope so like so it was just my way of saying like you you took it as it came like it, it wasn't a challenge it wasn't i'm gonna see if i can beat teddy in an event i think i have an edge on him it was challenge got pulled out of a hat you took it as it came and you know if man up if if you got jump rope you got to try to jump rope right uh so you know anyway it it comes down to the final four and by hook or by crook i had i had made it into the final four and got drawn teddy and the event was actually broad jump, which was an event that I didn't think I was too bad. And it was, it, it wasn't my strongest event, but it was an event that I definitely thought I could win. And I don't remember the margin that he beat me by, but he, he destroyed me. 
and he, he went on to win. And I, so I, I never, I never forgave him for that. And so I always say, you know, Teddy Glassie is my sworn advanced training enemy because of that. And then last year when I came back, uh, I guess it was eight years or, or nine years in the making, uh, me and Teddy went, went head to head in the first challenge, which I thought was really cool. And uh, did you beat Teddy in that challenge? I did beat Teddy. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, I did, I did beat him in that challenge. I, I got my win back. If, if, you, if you guys are a fan of pro wrestling, Joe Trenzo got his win back from Teddy Colhesse, uh nine years later. So, so just to, to get deeper into that 2010 tough man. So coming out of the gate, first round, Joe Trunzo gets something called chin-up hold, and he goes oh, against boy. Joe Martell, and Joe gets a <laughs> one minute and 18 seconds. Like just shocks the world with his first, first, first time he's doing this stuff in front of everybody else. Life is good. The, the next round comes up. Joe Trunzo gets a, a 295-pound barbell hold. He actually loses that event. Remember, it's double elimination. He loses to Eric Heedles, who has insane grip strength. So, yeah, he killed me. He killed me. <laughs> there's no way to, to feel any shame over that. Oddly, you get another shot uh, at a chin-up hold in your double elimination round, and you Luck win again. Have it. Luck yeah. would have it. You win 53 seconds. Pretty sick. So now you've won that event twice. Teddy beats you in the semifinals with the broad jump. Years go by. For some reason, we're training in the gym. It, you know, right now what we're doing, we're just literally we're training outside once a week, preparing for the tough man doing the challenge. But we're training in the gym over the winter. Teddy Colhesi's there. He wins the challenge belt. He makes a video. And for no good reason, he calls you out WWF style. Yep. This lures you back into advanced training. That's and right. then fast forward to you beating him in a chin-up hold. Pretty sick That's turn right. of events. That's right. And I, and I give Teddy credit because it, it became obvious, right, that chin-up hold was, was my specialty event. Uh, you know, to guys who don't know me who might be listening to this, I train in a very specific, very strange way that a lot of you would probably laugh at if you heard my training program. But it, it works for me. I, I think Coach gives it his blessing. He, he implemented in certain ways in his program as well. And so chin-up holds – for some reason or another were my thing. The numbers that coach was giving you from 2010, a minute 18. And I think the other one was like 50 seconds coach. If you have the numbers in front of you, I think the last time I did a chin up hold as a challenge, I think I broke two minutes or it might've been close to two minutes. So like I've, I've actually gotten progressively better at it. So for, for Teddy, who's a guy who's got probably 30 pounds on me to accept that challenge. I mean, well, Hey, look, he, he dug his own grave. because He did call me out to come back, but to, to accept that challenge, knowing he had 30 pounds or, maybe even more on me and knowing that that was my specialty event. I give him credit that he, he stepped up to the plate, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty sweet for me. I mean, I'm looking at the 2018 data. You beat Teddy on January 28th and you hit two minutes, one second, uh, 0.24. Then yeah. another legend walks through the door, the great Joe Sarno. He challenges you two months later to the date, 28th of March. And okay. then you get two minutes, two seconds, 0.94. So you almost wow. hit two minutes, three seconds. So, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't want to tra- challenge you in the uh, in a chin-up hole. And I guess one of the questions I was, that was on my list to ask was, if there was one challenge that you would hang your hat on for yourself, what is it? Is it the chin-up hole? It's definitely a chin-up hole. I, I, I think I'm comfortable, and I think the guys we train with would, uh, would, all, would all agree. I don't think anyone past or present in advanced training could ever beat me in a chin-up hole. And, hey, look, that, that's an open challenge. If anybody's out there that – listening from the past i don't know who's who's listening who thinks that maybe they can fine we could we could go to a gym somewhere and do it uh and i don't think i'm bragging anyone's being honest so yeah i think chin up hold is is definitely my thing i think you know like back to the wall 
last challenge, have no choice. What am I going to throw out? It's going to be chin up hold. And if, if, if you've got a decline under your belt array, so the way our challenge works is you could decline once, but then if you decline someone's challenge again, you have to, you get stripped of your title and it goes to an open challenge to the pool. So if you've got a decline under your belt and I come up, it'll, it will be chin up hold. And then you just have to decide whether you want to lose or whether you want to get, take your chances going to the pool and maybe winning the pool. So I, I love that you threw out a universal challenge to anyone who wants to beat you in this because there are people that listen. That Steve Armato's tag team uh, champion or, or partner was Frank Torres, and I immediately get a text from Teddy. Let's go. I, I'll take – let me pick my partner. We'll go against Armato and Torres. So I am certain that there's going to be someone out there that's going to want to compete against you in this chin-up hold. Hey, I, I, I welcome it. It would be, it would be great. I, I mean, one thing, Coach, you could, you could agree. I think one thing that I love is competition. It's the reason I came back to advanced training is the competition. I, I, when I came back, I, you know, I was training by myself. I still pretty much train by myself, right? I mean, advanced training now with the, with the tough man focus that it has. We go out in the morning. We do our, our tough man stuff. But then, you know, I still get my training sessions in either later on in the morning or, or at night. So, I, like, I'm a guy that, that trains by myself. And I, I, I mean, I, I found ways to push myself, but I'm a firm believer in you never really push yourself as far as you can go unless you're training with somebody else. Coach, you taught me that. I'm a big believer in that. And so that's why I, I'm a big believer in competition. So, hey, yeah, look, coach, when, when does the program go back to? Is it, is it 07 or 09 or 08? If we, we got 13 years of competitors, if anybody wants to hang out and, and catch up on old times and do a chin up hold just for, for craps and giggles, I'd be happy to do it. And I will be happy to set it up. And the, the rumor that uh, Bull Bloomingdale Park is starting to get some implements around, around the walkway where you can do dips and bodyweight holds. It's true. I saw them there the other day. So uh, I love it. We're going to add that to our walk of pain, too, by the way. Excellent. I'll talk about the walk of pain on a, another podcast. We've got, we got a lot <laughs> yeah, more to yeah. talk about here. So you, you mentioned uh, WWF, and you are – I'm not even going to say borderline obsessed. You are obsessed with the W – sorry, the WWE. WWE, yes. You and John Goldman both. So what is your obsession <laughs> with the WWE? And what do, you, yeah, so, what do you take from that and bring into advanced training? Yeah, so I grew up with wrestling. Like I, I, I'm the youngest of three, so I have two older brothers. I used to get my ass kicked every day. Uh, the wrestling moves were always tried on me. I was never the one trying the wrestling moves. I was always the guy having the wrestling moves tried on him. So I grew up with it. My uncles loved it. My brothers loved it. So it, it, I grew up with it. It's, it makes me – it gives me great memories back when I was a kid with – my older brothers and stuff. I, you know, I think the reason I love it so much is just, it's the absurdity. It's, it's the absurdity. It's these crazy characters, these larger than life characters um, who just, you know, it, it, it's quote unquote competition, right? It's all fake. It's, it's scripted competition. But what, what plays out in front of your eyes is a form of competition. It's scripted and someone wrote who's going to win and who's going to lose, but it's, it's, it's absurd competition. It's, you know, Ric Flair saying, you know, yeah, I've, I've done 16 times. You want to be the man, you got to beat the man and all this great. So to me, it's just the, 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 the grandiosity, the, 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 the bombastic, the bombasticity, if that's even a word of, of these guys that then, you know, you see it on your screen in this ridiculous form of competition. Uh, to me, there's, there's nothing like it. There's no form of entertainment like it. God, you know, you, you can watch sports, you can watch football, you can watch hockey, you can watch basketball. You're never going to watch a football game where the quarterback goes back for a pass and then runs back into his own end zone and takes a knee and then rips his jersey off and he's got the other team's jersey. <laughs> You're never going to see that ever. But if, if you're watching pro wrestling, you might see that. And so 
you know, you you you, you got to watch it. It's 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 entertainment of the highest order. So, do you think is there any linkage between the WWE absurdity and what goes on in advanced training? Not during the challenge, but maybe in between the challenges. In between the challenges, absolutely. So, when I first came back last year, I didn't know anybody. So I, I, I kept to myself in the beginning. Like, I didn't really talk a lot. I, I, would, I would participate in, in the little group chat, but I would, I would do it more with like facts and like throwing out like information or like, hey, I'm gonna ch- we're going to do this challenge. I, I kind of kept it to that. But then as time went on and I got more comfortable with the guys, I tried to bring some of that in of, of like, hey, you know, there, there's going to be trash talk. There's going to be, you know, you got to kiss my boots if, if, if you can't do it or you, you know, if you for instance, my, my big one this year that is in our group chat constantly is, look, I'm, I'm Space Mountain. I might be the oldest oldest ride in the park, but I've still got the longest line and I got the most thrills. I stole that one from Ric Flair. I mean, Ric Flair's been saying that since probably the, the late 80s, right? And so I think there's a lot of that now. And, and then, you know, it comes out that Usuke is a big pro wrestling fan. I don't, I don't think Usuke was comfortable saying it until other guys in the program themselves were saying it. And then Goldman comes in. Goldman might be a bigger pro wrestling guy than I am. <laughs> Goldman texts me the amount of side texts that I get from Goldman on Mondays or like Sundays leading into Monday is, is unbelievable. I've, I've, me and Goldman have known each other for like three months. I, I probably text Goldman more than I text my wife. It's, it's unbelievable. So a, a quick side note. Is it true that you have side texts going on with a lot of members of advanced training or do you not I have wanna... side texts with every single member of the morning session? Yes. All right. <laughs> Back to the WWE conversation. If, let me ask you this. Who is your favorite all-time wrestler? My favorite all-time wrestler is, is Hulk Hogan. Obviously, from when I was a kid, right? Growing up as a kid, there's, there's nothing like Hogan. You know, I had the pajamas. I had the headband, the, the tank top. I, had, I think I had Hulk Hogan underwear, which is a little creepy looking back at it now. Um, you know, bed sheets, blankets, sleeping bag, lunchbox. And I think my mom still has all this stuff in, in her attic somewhere. So Hulk Hogan historically for me is, is the greatest, but then I, after Hogan, I don't really have a favorite wrestler. I have like favorite moments of wrestlers, like, like periods of time of wrestlers. Cause like their characters change so much. Like you go from a good guy and a bad guy and you sort of undergo these transformations. So one of them, one of my favorite incarnations of the character was Chris Jericho's character from like 2007 to me or 2008 to maybe like 2010 where his gimmick was, I am the best in the world. I am better than you at all of this. And mm-hmm. you're all beneath me. And so he would show up in like a shirt and tie and a full suit. And he'd give these like interviews using this like crazy vocabulary, calling people like words no one's ever heard of. And his whole thing was, I am the best wrestler in the world. None of you can can live up to me. And you don't deserve to be in the same ring as me. So that was a really, really great um, incarnation of a wrestling character. I'm trying to think of other, other recent... Uh, Oh yeah, they they gave Randy Orton a gimmick once where he had um, IED. It was called intermittent explosive disorder. I don't even know if that's a real disorder. If if it is, you know, if if anyone's suffering from it, you know, I, I wish you the best. Get all the help that you need. But Randy Orton had IED, and things would just be going normally, and then he'd freak out. So like he'd be like me and you talking right on the podcast. All of a sudden, bam! I just hit you with my finishing, like out of nowhere. Just, I can't control myself. I just have this I just, disorder. Work. I just hit it in Google, and it. At least it's in Wikipedia. It is a yeah, behavioral, 
Behavioral disorder characterized by explosive outbursts of anger and violence, often to the well, point yep. of rage. And so, yeah, Randy Orton would just things. And he, he like sometimes, and this was back in the WWE when they still had man on woman violence. Now they they kind of don't let you do that as times are changing, probably rightfully so. Um, but back then, because this was probably like like mid two thousand or like kind of later two thousand, where they still controversially would like let men hit women on television. And like he'd be ha- talking like a female interviewer, like a hundred pounds, like you know the like the way the wrestling women are. They're all wearing like you know no clothes and whatever, and they have them on there because they're beautiful. And he would just like bam, and it was just, it was it was ridiculous, but it was I, I I enjoyed it. It was it was like I said, in, entertainment of the highest order. And again, just for all people listening, uh, professional wrestling is fake. Randy Orton was really not beating up a, a female announcer. It was all staged. That's right. That's right. And uh, to reiterate. Mr. Trunzo's point, if someone does have intermittent explosive disorder, please get the help that you need. Yes. yes. All right. Quick, another, another quick uh, question about WWE. If sure. you had to say what character you are, if advanced training is WWE, who are you? Oh, right now I'm the undertaker. Really? Right now. I'm the, yep. You, no, look, ain't no grave going to hold my body down, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the old gunslinger. Uh, you know, I, I've still got a little bit left in the tank. I might not have what I had left in the tank 10 years ago, but um, I'm, I'm a tough out. You know, if, if, if you're calling me out, you better be ready. Uh, you know, you, you, you're not going to get the same 22-year-old Trunzo, but the 32-year-old Trunzo, he still packs a punch. So I, right now, I think I'm The Undertaker. Is The Undertaker, I would have said like a, a Ric Flair. Does The Undertaker, I haven't watched wrestling in a while. Is he talking trash or no? No, so The, the, Under, the Undertaker's whole gimmick for the past so. Coach, I don't know how far you go back, but The Undertaker for the longest time was undefeated at WrestleMania. He had never lost at WrestleMania. And after his you know, wear and tear on his body, he couldn't be like a weekly performer anymore, like showing up on Raw every week. And so his whole, the whole thing, like Undertaker would wrestle at WrestleMania. You wouldn't see him again for, until like the build to WrestleMania, like a month before next year's WrestleMania. So he had like an 11-month offseason. And then all of a sudden he'd, he'd come back and somebody would challenge him. Saying, you know, the Undertaker's past it. I'm going to be the guy that breaks the streak. And, you know, he, he's not going to be able to beat me at WrestleMania. And then on the grandest stage, the Undertaker, there he is. He'd come back. He'd look like hell. He'd look like his body had been to the ringer. looked like he hadn't hit a gym in forever. He'd have, like, a really bad spray tan. But sure enough, you can't beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania. He's going to give you his best shot. And, you know, he, he's the wily vet. He knows more about the ring than you do. He knows more about what it's like to compete than you do. And you might be younger, you might be stronger, you might be better, you might be faster, but you're not going to beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And that's kind of the role I see myself now. And I, I talk like I'm some old man. I'm, I, I, I'm 32 years old, but I guess relatively to the training It's all crop. relative, yep. It right, is all relative, relative to the training crop. You know, I am an old man. Some, some of the guys who train with 10 years younger than me. So that's, that's the role I see myself in now is, hey, look, you know, I might not, I might not have the, 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 same, the same gas mileage I had a couple of years ago, but – if, if we're going to go one-on-one, it's not going to be easy to beat me. I know more than you do. I've done more than you've done. Uh, and good luck. If you could beat me, great. So let's get to this one-on-one thing. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Steve Armato. You have a choice of anyone, past or present, to be your advanced training uh, tag team partner in the challenge. Who is it? So right now, uh, it would be James Uske. Because I, I think, as I said earlier, James and I think – we approach things differently. Uh, James always, James is, is thinking a lot more creatively than I, the way I think is my mindset is always like, I like to break things down 
to the smallest part. And like everybody in our advanced training chat always likes to give me shit about that. I don't know if I could say that on the, I, I don't know if there's a curse free or not. So sorry if it is. Curse everybody, free. Okay. Curse so free. that's the last time you're, uh, that's the last time I'll say it. So a lot of guys like to give me crap because I'm always trying to break things down to its smallest increment. Like if I'm challenging you to a, you know, 40 yard something in my head, the way I break that down is the first five yards, the next five yards, the next five yards, the next five yards, et cetera. So if I can figure out at each five yard increment where I expect my timing to be based on my physical qualities and where I think you're going to be five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards. That's my way of thinking that that's the way I approach something like that. So I break things down to their smallest molecule and try to gain an edge that way. James doesn't think that way. James is more of a broader picture way of approaching the challenge mindset that I don't, I don't take that. I don't take that view. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that view, but it's just not the way I approach it. So I think if me, me and James would be a, a, a perfect counterbalance. And I also think that by taking James, it takes a really good athlete who can compete against me in some of the things that I'm really good at off the table as well. Cause like I said, a lot of the endurance based stuff that we do favors me. And I think James would be closest to me and being able to dominate those events. So by having him on my team, I don't have to worry about it. So we did have a tag team event this year and Amorosi was your tag team partner. And yeah. He lost a slider. Yep. For those that don't know, it's an event where you put furniture movers underneath your feet. You put your hands on the ground, and you are pushing yourself backwards. You're taking your hands. You're driving them through the floor, pushing yourself backwards. Pete, I could say, is what I would consider an expert at sliders. Yeah. He seldom – I don't think I've ever seen him lose a slider, but he does in this tag team event. Do you think he threw the challenge? No, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think he threw the challenge because it was, it was a multi-stage challenge. So it had – had we won that round, so for, for guys who weren't there, it was me and Pete versus Moresco and Sarno. And the way it worked was if your team won, then you went to the next round and the two teammates fa faced off with each other. So I don't think Pete threw the challenge. I, I, I think it's, it's fortunate that, as you said, Pete is consistency-wise, he's the best slider guy that we have. I think there are certain guys that might be capable of posting a faster time on their best day, but those are the same guys that will lose a slider. Um, I think consistency-wise, Pete posts great times and never loses a slider. So it's unfortunate that that might be the one time in advanced training or I think maybe second time in advanced training that Pete lost a slider. So it was unfortunate for me because I think we only lost by like a second, which if you know what it means to lose a slider, losing by a second after you've lost a slider is shows in, that you did an insane run. Um, so it was unfortunate, but I, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Pete was being, being cute or being nefarious or anything like that. What, what is it called in the WWE business? Turning heel? Is that what it is? Yeah, no, yeah. Hey, look, if, if, if it were WWE, Pete would have lost the slider. Um, you know, he would have looked upset at first. Then he would have gotten up, hit Moresco over the head with like a plate and taken his, <laughs> taken his place in the Sarno Moresco team. And then he would have went head to head with Sarno. Sarno would have laid down for him. Pete would have won. And then Pete would have been the head of like this new faction of him. Sarno and Moresco was all like a ruse. Like that, see that you got to watch it. You got to watch it. I, I, I see this happening either in 2019 or 2020 at events training. I, I could see it happening. A, a faction forming by someone throwing a challenge. I've thought of it. Hey, look, I, I I've definitely thought of it. I I've seen such insanity this year that I thought it's actually happened. Not the Pete losing the slider, although it was in my head a little bit. But which, I seen, which one do you think? Are you willing to? Are you I, willing to go on record? I will not go on record. 
not until this this season is actually over because I don't okay. want to play anyone's hand. But there has been some insanity going on that I was like, is this set up? Are these guys yeah. in this thing together? Could, could this I, guy hey, look, really I, challenge I, I've thought that? it a few times, but I don't know. I think everyone's competitive enough that I, I hope it's all above the fret. So I want to go a little bit to your personal – your training right now. So the way yeah. advanced training works right now, uh, me being a head coach, I don't have the time to, to train guys in the gym three days a week like we used to and then work them on the field three days a week. So now it's just one day a week. We train for the challenge and we train for the tough man and that's it. So everything we do is outside of a gym field-based work. So you're training on your own the other six days of the week. Yep. What is something that you're doing that other people would say that is nuts? Like what's the one thing that you could do in a gym that people would say this man's a lunatic? Yeah, so I, I, do, I do a lot of max pull-ups. Uh, I've told – I've talked to Sarno about that. Just, I think, out of curiosity, he was a little curious about about what I was doing. And so max pull-ups is just 15 minutes for time, how many you can you can blast out. I think that 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 takes a lot out of you. Um, it sort of it'll it'll ruin the kind of the rest of your session. But I, you know, I, it's and it might sound crazy. And this is where I say a lot of people who, especially guys who trained with advanced training, might hear the way I trained and say, and laugh at it or say that it's crazy or question the results. And that's, that's okay. And because I think a big portion of what advanced training started out as, and what it still is, is training football players to be ready to play football and to get strong in a way that will benefit them on a football field. Is that right, coach? That is right. And even with you washed up meatheads, as the great uh, Joe DeFranco says, we're still training the same way. We're just training as if we were going to step onto a football field. We're, we're training to be athletes. That's pretty much right. it. That's right. And so like me at, at 32 years old and I coached this, this might break your heart. And you and I, I think we, we, you disagree with some of the way that I train, but I think overall you're, you're on board with it is like, I'm no longer training to be a football player. I'm no longer training to be an athlete. I'm training to have functional strength, uh, which which you, I think you get from from football training, and but otherwise I'm I'm also and this is going to sound very naive or, or, or vain like I'm training to look good in like, like with my shirt off as as selfish and horrible as that sounds, and but beyond that a, a big thing that I've kind of become obsessed with is um, endurance training, uh, and I know that the way that started for you guys who can remember way back on advanced training program is coach used to make us do this thing called five minutes of pain, which was always the worst part of every workout. It was usually a finisher just at the end of a workout. We would do five minutes of pain, right? So you go through your workout and then it would be five minutes of pain curls. You know, we, it would be with, uh, I, I remember this one specifically, it was, it was like, ba- it was band curls and band overhead tricep extensions, five minutes of pain. What five minutes of pain means is there is no rest or break. So you go curls, overhead tricep extension, right back to curls, right back to tricep extension. There is no, the break is a time that it takes you to change from band curls to band overhead tricep extension. That is it. And and so I always liked that. I I found it interesting. I I sort of found it fascinating a little bit. And as I had gotten older, I had, had researched more on it. And I came across this guy called Charles Staley that I think coach has heard of, or yep. I, I, maybe I introduced you to him when I started talking about it, or I think you probably knew it before that though. Um, this guy called Charles Staley, 
who does something very similar called EDT, which is yep. escalation density. Right. So yeah, coach, I remember you knew about this when I had asked you about it. It was, it's escalation density training. And he takes the five minutes of pain concept and kind of builds on it a little bit. What he does is he creates something called a zone and your zone could be anywhere from five minutes. If you, that's all you're looking for, but that's, that's not going to be an ideal workout or you can go up to a 15 minute zone and your goal, your, your goal in that zone is to get max reps possible in that zone. And then you take a full five minute break and you go on to another zone, right? So a, a typical day of training and I, and you double up body parts the same way that we would double up on five minutes of pain. So like a typical workout for me. So like I pair, I pair triceps with back. So, you know, day one of training will be 15 minute zone of tricep dips and pull-ups. So you go, you go for max and you keep, you keep track, you keep track of every single rep and then you go max for that 15 minutes. And then you take a five minute break and then it's like the next one might be like, um, you know, skull crushers and, uh, you know, uh, crock rows, right? Uh, left and right crock rows. Again, you, you alternate 15 minutes, you take a five minute break, and then you do a third 15 minute zone. So it's 15, fi 15 with a five minute break, 15 with a five minute break, and then a final 15, and then you're done. And with the goal being that you escalate your density, and the next week the goal is, hey, if I got, 240 pull-ups and you know 350 dips that i have to get at least 241 and 351 next week um and it's not all body weight you know like with the weighted stuff he has a general rule of thumb that when your reps go up by 20 percent from the the first time you've used that weight you increase the weight by five percent so it's something that's compatible with with weight training as well um and that that's what i do i do that i do that my muscle pairings are um, back and tricep, chest and bicep, um, shoulders and legs. And then I just, I have like what I call a trunk day, which is kind of from like chest to knees, I guess I would, I would call it more like core work. And yeah, that's, that's my training program. Rinse, rinse, wash and repeat. So I'd say, I wouldn't say that we disagree on the value of escalated density training because it is something that was inside of our program. It was called five minutes of pain because it was painful. And the, the, the reason that we did that work was the mental edge. That was one. And two was that it would help with hypertrophy. That, yeah. that was, and if you're looking at an advanced training workout, the way this thing works is you kind of, it's a full, fully balanced program every day you walk in the gym. So it's, there's, I'll say there's stability, there's no mobility, there's power, there's explosion, there's strength. And then that last portion, our finisher, our mental edge is usually something for hypertrophy. So the only difference between your program and my program is that you've taken that one chunk and made it the central point of your program. And right. for me, it was just a very small portion to get guys some a little bit of jacked up in this, if that's even a phrase, get jacked up at the end of the workout, but also that mental edge of how do I compete with myself for this five minutes of pain. But there is definitely value in that. Yeah, no, there's, 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 I, I agree. And, and that's the thing, right? Like someone who trains the way that I train, they're not going to be a good football player. <laughs> You're not going to be a good, well-rounded athlete. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll lack strength in certain things. But again, at, at 32, the training is, is a little different. You know, the, the, way I, the way I have to approach training um, is different. The, the aesthetic that I'm going for, the, the body look that I'm going for is different than it was 10 years ago. I don't, I'm not looking for that thick, you know, full muscle look anymore. It's I'm, I'm, and you know, to each, to each their own, right. It's, 
the, the look I'm going for more now is lean muscle, very cut muscle, deep, you know, deep cut muscle, um, you know, sac- fully admitting that I'm sacrificing strength uh, and foregoing strength at, at, at the cost of that. I, I think if I was looking back in time at my only issue with the EDT program, because I had done a legit EDT program for one cycle, I'd say I was like 12 weeks, mm-hmm. is that my strength gains did not go up. So for no. me, yeah. I, I'm always I'm still training like the New York Giants are going to call me tomorrow and say, hey, <laughs> we need a guy to run down on kickoff. And I'm like, it's hey, never too I, old. I'm good. Yeah. Call me up, man. I'll do it. I will do yeah. it. Uh, so I, I'm still training for that. And my, I, it's definitely I didn't see my power numbers go up or my maximal strength numbers go up. But I certainly did see a difference in my hypertrophy, which is absolutely the goal of that. Yeah. workout but i yeah, want to link yeah. to something that you said about the aesthetics of it yeah. so is it true that you used to be significantly heavier than what you are now yeah significantly is not a word i i was when i was 18 years old i was 273 pounds when you were 18 18 For, uh, no wait i was i was seven no no i was 18 it was 18 it was right after my 18th birthday so i for, for all intents and purposes at 17 i was 273 years old 273 pounds excuse me. so were, were you a heavy little kid or did you just put on a bunch of weight in a short amount of time so i was always a chubby little kid so coach you 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 knew me when i was a freshman at freshman year i came in at like 180 which is which is big for a freshman but you're not expecting that freshman to then gain 100 pounds by the time they're uh, uh, hey look if it's 100 pounds of muscle then you know he's a freak he's gonna go play college football he's gonna go play in the nfl great that's not what it was with me um, so 180 as a freshman is big, but it's not, you know, obese. I think the, the 273 that I was carrying as a senior was, was obese. It was, it was horrible. So I do think somewhere between junior and senior year, uh, I, I put on, I put on a lot of weight, the beginning of senior year, really, I put on a lot of weight. So the, the first chunk of it was, was easy to get off, like getting from 273 back to like 240 was, was easy to get off. But even being 240 pounds in high school is is not proper. <laughs> what what uh, so made then, you, you know, gain the went, weight? It went full. Like what, what, what made you what made you gain the weight? What happened? So I think so it, it was a host of things what made me gain the weight. Um, and th- so this is information that a, a lot of guys we train with probably don't even know. But I actually stopped playing high school football. I didn't I didn't play my senior year of high school football. I quit high school football. Um, I thought that my time was better spent doing something else, uh, that, that something else was playing competitive video games, uh, which, Hey, to, to my credit, I was really good at, but, uh, you know, made, made, made a good amount of money, saw the world, you got to travel at like 17, which was really cool. Um, but you know, looking back at it now, I, I say this and not just because this is like a tough football guy podcast, but quitting high school football was probably my biggest regret of my life. Um, but so anyway, it's no longer was playing high school football. Instead uh, are we allowed to say the game on the air? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I was playing at that point with Madden NFL. So the years that I was playing, I played Oh three, Oh four. Those were my years that I was like among the best, probably like top three or top five in the country. After that, it was like the Oh six, Oh seven games. I was getting into college. It was a little more difficult for me to dedicate time, um, time to the game. But it was it was Madden NFL football, and I, I was I was really good at it, and I realized I was really good at it, and I wanted to spend all my time playing Madden NFL football, which looking back at it is so silly, but I wanted to spend all my time playing Madden, and I got great at it, and you know, hey, you try not to regret things, but that is my my biggest regret. 
it, it's odd because uh, I am Mr. Football. Like in my high, in my eighth grade yearbook, there was like an imagine if at St. Joseph St. Thomas, and it was imagine if George Mahoney doesn't play football. And at that, <laughs> at, at, when you left, I remember you leaving for that reason, and I remember saying in my head. That's okay. Like, if there's any reason to leave this game of football, I thought it was because of that. So I, I don't know. I, it might sound like uh, blasphemy, you know, a head coach of a high school program, a guy that's obsessed with football, obsessed with the camaraderie of it. But for me, it was like this guy is legitimately one of the best in the country. At the time, that was the biggest game out there. It, it, and I was like a 23, 24-year-old guy. That was all I was doing with my friends after practice with you guys was playing Madden. And actually, I think in many ways – be playing Madden helped me as a coach. Uh, I'd even oh, yeah, play creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And there's things that hurt you as a coach. Like you just call a play and you assume that everybody on the team knows that play. You call a new formation and guys just run on the field. None of that stuff actually transfers <laughs> over to real football. Yeah. And I think it's hurt many coaches out there. A lot of coaches now my age who just think I just call a dime package and all these 11 guys run on the field who weren't standing there ready to go on the sideline or ready to go. And they know every package I call just because it's in the playbook. Right. Yeah. That's a bad thing. But having said that, I, I remember you doing it, and I was like, eh, I'm okay with it. I remember Coach Clark and Coach Manos thought I was completely crazy, but yeah. I was like, I, su- I support this move by this guy. Because I, I remember, so yeah, I remember at the time you telling me that. You, and, and I think Manos eventually came around to it, and, and Manos and I have a very – we have an awesome relationship, a similar relationship to me and you. I talk to Coach almost every day. Uh, and I remember at the time he was annoyed and, you know, told me that I would regret it. And, look, hey, he was absolutely right. I mean, I do regret it, but – um, I do remember at the time you saying that, like, Hey, like if, if you're quitting cause you're doing something that you'd rather be doing, then if you'd rather be doing it, go ahead and do it. Especially if it's something that you're legitimately great at and Hey, not to pat myself on the back. You're talking about 15 years ago. It's almost silly to even talk about it, but yeah, like I was, I was great at it, but getting, you know, so then getting back to the weight game, it was, you know, no more football, no more real working out. I was probably playing video games 10 hours a day sometimes more on weekends. Um, and then, you know, had some, had some personal tragedy guys from CLNO lost a really close friend. Um, the beginning of our senior year in October, um, that, you know, as a 17 year old kid, I don't think any 17 year old kid is really prepared to deal with a death and people don't die at 17. Um, so it was, that sort of took its toll on me mentally and physically. Um, so that was in October and then it was in February. So four months later that I decided I was going to lose, the weight, I, again, at that point, I had gotten up to like 273, but I think normal weight for me was like 240. Uh, so decided I was going to lose it. It happened to coincide with – not a lot of people know this. It coincided with Lent. So what I initially said I was going to do is um, my senior in Saldi at sea had said, if, if you go through a, a full Lenten fast, one of your intentions – will we will be granted right or something like that I, I, I might have it wrong but something like that it was like if you do a lenten fast one of your intentions will be granted so like all right i'm gonna go through with the lenten fast which was you know minimal eating like before sun up after sundown or like one meal like essentially one meal a day um go through the lenten fast and in my brain it was like okay you'll go through the lenten fast you'll get an intention granted and this will sort of chart the you know kickstart the system to lose some weight and then we'll see where we are by the end of lent um, by the end of Lent, I was down to like, so in, in the 40 days I was down to like, I think two fifteen ish, like around there. So I lost like 58 pounds in 50 something days. Oh, wow. I think Lent is actually more, it's not actually 40 days, like a little longer than 40 days. Um, and so at that point I was like, wow, like this, 
and now I, I had done it in a, in a not like looking back at it now, knowing what I know about health and fitness and muscle building and eating properly, you know, losing weight by going through a Lenten fast is not the healthy way to lose weight. But when you were as fat as I was, it was, you know, it was, it was the best thing that you could do. Um, so, you know, I got down, it was like 215. I eventually got down still in high school before graduation. So by June, so it had been four months later. I remember on graduation day, I was like in the low 190s, like 192 um, or like 193. And then uh, I sort of maintained that for a while. 192 is actually heavy for me, but my, my body changed a bunch because then obviously, you know, you're broke down a, a crap ton of muscle mass, had like no muscle mass, was walking around at 192, like skin and bones. Cause I was malnutritioned, uh, got back in the gym, started taking fitness really seriously, started taking my diet really seriously. Uh, actually bulked up to like 205 or 210 with muscle. And then from there, again, talk about aesthetics, realized that I wanted sort of a leaner aesthetic. Uh, and I think comfortable way for me now is I, I try not to get any lower than one call it like 178 and I, you know, the, my high that I feel comfortable at is like 185, 186. Um, I've gotten bigger. I know last year I was, I was training with Sarno. He gave me a, a program and it was, it was a strength program. You know, I, I, I went into it with eyes open and uh, it was a strength program meant to like put on size and get bigger. And I had gotten up to like 196 and my numbers were through the roof. Like the improvements that I had on squat, deadlift, bench, you name it. It was marked improvement in, in, in every lift. Uh, but I had gotten up to like 196 or one, maybe even 197. And I didn't, I just didn't carry it well. I didn't, I didn't like the way that I looked at it. More importantly, I didn't like the way that I felt. I, I was listening to my body. I just didn't like the way that I felt. So, um, you know, went back to old faithful EDT and, you know, shed that, that excess 12 pounds. I shed over the course of like maybe three or four now I'm back, you know, close to like 185. What? Two questions. What weight do you want to be at the tough man this year, late July? Yeah. So I, I've, I've talked about that with you and I, I talked about it with some of the guys too. I feel like I could really, I, I have to go two ways. I could either try to go from 185 down to like 178. Again, I don't really like being less than that. I feel like it starts to impact my, my performance. If I get lighter than that, I could get down to like 178 and really blast my cardio out, blast my endurance out. And it might hurt me on some challenges, like maybe a sled, like sled pull, but I feel like I'll be able to fly through sliders. I'll be able to fly through prowler push. Cause I, I feel like the seven pounds won't impact me too much on a, on a 15 yard prowler push in terms of like gaining momentum. But I feel like being able to do three of them in a row, um, it, my, my cardio will be a lot better. Or I think on the other end, I need to get back on a strength program and get to like 195, sacrifice a little of the endurance stuff where I feel like I already have a pretty big edge anyway. So I feel like if I lose a little bit of my edge on the endurance stuff, but close the gap on some of the strength stuff, um, that could be a way to winning. And I mean, look, it's all about winning, right? Like I'm not, I'm not doing it to say, oh, this is willy nilly is what I want to do. Like I, I want to win the challenge this year. You know, last year, I think I lost to, I came in third. I lost to Sarno by like four seconds. And I think Amorose was ahead of me by one second and change. So it's, you know, the, the goal is to find a way to shave off, you know, the four seconds plus, because, you know, Sarno is definitely going to shave time off his time. Pete's going to shave time off his time. So, you know, it's, it's looking for a way to, to shave those seconds off. And I, 
I haven't really, you know, maybe you and I can talk off, you know, off the podcast in depth, but I haven't figured out what the right, what the right strategy is. I think it's great that I'm doing uh, fact checking as you're talking and I, I shouldn't have to because your, your time number estimates are about almost exact <laughs> about Sarno <laughs> beating you by four seconds and Pete by about a, a second, a little bit of change. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a, a second and a little bit of change can come down to transitions, right? Like I, I feel like closing the gap on Pete and look, Pete had some, some, some dirty transitions too, where he could pick up time. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not the only guy working. Obviously everybody's working to beat last year's time and not just to beat last year's time, but to compete and, and, and win. Um, but I, I think it's, it's a lot easier to make up one, one and change than it is to make up four. Uh, you know, Sarno's like, like I said earlier, he's, he's the alpha dog right now. He's, he's the top of the, the top of the food chain. He's worked hard to, to get there. Um, and coach little known fact, but, and this is, this is going to, like I said, the conversation is going on a little bit of a tangent, but I Sarno's story for guys that don't know Sarno's story is actually more his performance now is more impressive when you know his story. So again, being a student of history, and this isn't me plugging Joe Sarno, like giving props to him. It, it, it's going to sound that way, but when you look at the history of advanced training coach, I know you got the numbers in front of you. I'm looking at them now. 2013. How many, how many challenges did Joe Sarno win? Since 2013? No, no, no. In, in 2013, how many did he win? Uh, let me go. I got to go back into those. Give me one second. I'll, 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 I'll give you the answer while you look it up. In 2013, he won zero challenges. Yeah, he, he was 0-4. He was 0-4. In 2014, how many challenges did Joe Sarno win? I don't know. The answer is zero again. Every time he challenged in 2014, he lost. 0-2. So wow. to see the I'm, – I'm big on progression too. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm analytical. I like to break things down to like small – learnable components when i noticed that about sarno how he went from oh and four oh and two years then you start to slowly see the build that's what like my respect for joe isn't based entirely on what he does in the present it's actually knowing the story uh, and knowing the history of hey this kid busted his butt clearly he busted his butt to get where he is right now and to me that is that is what success is like success isn't just success isn't just winning, right? Like if you're just a superior athlete to everybody that you train with and you just win, that's not to me. That's not just winning is not success. Like if you're able, if, if I'm just better than the five guys or six guys that I'm with and I'm able to win every year, it's not, Oh wow. He won every year. So he's successful. Right. That's one way of thinking of success. Sure. But to me, success is self progression and you know, the me today is better than the me from yesterday. And Sarno is the epitome of that. You know, I didn't even realize that his that that year he went zero and four. Yeah, oh, he still, he he didn't win a challenge for two years. And, and I'm looking. And now at he's him. and now in, in in certain in certain events he's unbeatable. Right. It, so the, to me that like that's what that's what success is. That's what progress is. You know, it's it's that to me is, is why you, why you always show up coach. I think I told you a few, you and I were texting one night. It was one of our more like in-depth texts. Like every, we talk all the time, but we had gotten into like thought process and way of thinking. And my whole thing is it, if you beat me today and you show up the same way, you're not going to beat me tomorrow. Right? Like that, that to me is the most important thing. If me and you face off today and you beat me and then me and you face off, a week from now, and I've gotten better, and you haven't, you're not going to beat me again. 
that's to me, that's the most important thing. And that's what I like about advanced training about there's, there's archives, there's history, there's progress back when we were all in the gym every day, there were training sheets. Like it's, it's very, it's very objective to see it. it, it there's no subjectivity involved. It's you're getting better or you're not. And again, that's part of the reason why like Sarno right now, when I say he's the top dog, it's, it's not just because he's got the most points in the challenge right now. It's the effort that he's put in to get where he's at. It, to me, that's, that's impressive. And I'm looking at the reason I was so, I wasn't saying much before as you were asking me questions. I was saying like, right. And yeah, is that I'm baffled. I'm, I'm looking at these old numbers and we document everything. Like you said, and I'm just looking at his 20 yard slider time versus Kuyan. It's awful. Like, yeah, he, he probably might do 50 yards in that time right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say he could probably do 40 yards in the time he was doing 20. And I mean, yeah, like six years is a lot of time, but I mean, it's not, it's not an eternity. Like the, 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 the progress that he's made and, and look, he's come into his own, right? Like, at that, you know, late twenties, mid twenties, like you, you strength wide, you start to, you know, you, you, you get a lot better, but he, I mean, what he's done is, is awesome. I'm, I'm very, Joe, I'm very, if you're listening, I'm very, very impressed, man. Very, very impressive. Wow. That, that was good. And one of my questions was going to be to you was, what is your definition of success and who is it in the program? But I, I think you answered that one already. Yeah, no, to me, to me, it's, it's, it's Sarno. And again, it's not just because of what he does now. I mean, what he does now is impressive, right? Like, yeah, he's, He's, he's the toughest out in advanced training right now. But when you compare it to what he was, you know, a few years ago when he was, you know, not to insult him, went kind of like a doormat, you know, you, you don't win a single challenge for two years. My, my gosh, it, if that's not success, I don't know what is. Awesome. Oh, I, I think this is a good spot to end, but have, cause it's, it's such a great point that you made. I'm going to ask you the same question. I'm going to try and make this the same last question I make on every podcast for my own selfishness. Is there something that you've done in your life over the last, let's say, one to three years that you've helped yourself remove clutter or to simplify the way that you do things? And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be lifting. It could be in anything. What have you done? Yeah, so I I knew you were going to ask me this question, and I have an excellent answer for you. So my wife hates this because – it's led to some bad scenarios, but I, my cell phone does absolutely nothing. So what I mean by absolutely nothing is no vibrations, no sound, no notifications. So if you call me, my phone doesn't ring. My phone doesn't vibrate. If you text me, my phone doesn't vibrate. My phone doesn't give a chime. Um, if, if my phone is in my hand and you text me, I'll, I'll get the little drop down banner that just says I got a text. If my phone didn't happen to be in my hand, I have no way of knowing that you texted me. Um, on my lock screen, I have no notific- like no notification center. So if I take my phone out of my pocket to look at the time, I don't see my missed calls. I don't see missed texts. Um, so I, my cell phone does absolutely nothing that I don't want it to do. So if I want to open my text messages and see text messages that I've gotten since the last time I had my phone in my pocket, that's the only way I can check my texts. If I want to see who called me, I need to go into the phone app and look and see who called me. Um, I don't have, so the only social media that I have is Instagram and I only have that to post pictures of my dogs. Um, but like, you know, I don't like no Twitter. I, you know, I don't have any Instagram notifications literally. And I, I hate the word literally, but literally I have, my phone does not make a sound or a noise or notify me of anything throughout the day. And that has been, for me, productivity wise, unbelievable. Um, you know, 
because look, we, we could all call ourselves focused. I, I'm, I'm focused when I'm, when I'm focused on this. I don't let other things distract me. But when your phone goes, bing, you take it out of your pocket and you see who texted you. Or when your phone rings, you take it out of your pocket and you decide, do I want to answer this call? Do I want to send it to voicemail? Do I want to do nothing and just say, oh, I didn't see your call like we all do. Um, but when that device makes a noise, we all react to it. Yep. And when you can stop that from happening, it just lets you zone in on what you're doing and you forget all about it. You have nothing pulling you away from what you're doing. And for me, that's been otherworldly in terms of professional productivity, like at work and whatever else. And, but I say my wife hates it because there have been instances where she is trying to call me for a reason. And I just have no way to know that she's calling. You know, you're spot on with this. I remember I saw an article from Tim Ferriss on this and I, I believe I sent it to the training crew. You might have. And you said, I'm already doing it. Because yeah. now my phone is in the exact same spot. It is nothing more than a device that I use when I want to, and it's not releasing. I think it's dopamine that it releases, right? You get that it, little yeah. ping oh, yeah. or whatever. Ah, you're excited. But yep. it's it, taking... it, hits, it hits your dopamine receptors, and like that's the reason that people become so obsessed with these things, right? Like they, they're not, they, they're not like designed to get you addicted to them. They're just designed really well, um, and that they provide all these types of alerts and notifications. And yeah, it's like you said, and like Tim Ferriss has said, it's, you know, your dopamine receptors, they, they, they're in a, they end up in a constant feedback loop, right? It's just a constant feedback loop of what's going on in my phone. What's going on with this ping. Okay. I got to go check this out. And then why does ping ping. And then, you know, like it, they're, they're, they're very well designed to, to occupy your time. And your attention and your creativity oh, yeah. and all that stuff gets, and I'd say even as someone is possibly listening to this podcast, they're probably, looking at their phones, scrolling through something else, multitasking, not absorbing all the, the glorious things that have been said. <laughs> glorious is being, uh, it's, it's, it's being very kind. <laughs> I'm a kind man. I'm a kind you man. You are. You are. You're a benevolent king. So with that, Mr. Trunzo, we, uh, we hit about an hour, almost about an hour and 20 minutes. So this nice. is nice. I remember there was a controversial comment on my first podcast that it was too Coach, short. You know, you know, they're supposed to be long, right? So we hit the hour and 20 minute mark. I want to say this was awesome. I'm excited to hear how this is received by your competitors. Uh, yeah. And I'm really curious to see if anybody's going to take you up on that chin up hole challenge. I, I, I would love to host that event if and when I, it hey, happens. Look, past, present, or future, man. You know, on, on chin up holes, I'm, I'm confident enough to throw that one out. Past, present, or future. All right, brother. Thank you for a great podcast, and I will see you Wednesday morning at the workout. All right, we'll see you then, coach. All right, talk to you soon. Bye.